Thanks for joining us for this Sunday worship gathering. Today we begin a new message series digging into the book of 1 John. Let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has for us today. And please give a warm welcome to Pastor Bob Schwann. Great to see you, Journey. It actually kind of caught me off guard. It's so weird to hear your Pastor Bob Schwann. That just sounds so official, you know, like in my mid-40s, and I just think everybody should call me buddy, you know, but glad to be here. And I'm really excited about this journey that we're going to take through 1 John, and I especially like the subtitle that our creative team gave to this message series, Finding What's Real in a World of Fake. Because let's be honest, we live in a world where we've constantly got to be asking the question, is this real? I mean, even just things as trivial as as clothing. You know, there's all kinds of knockoff clothing out there. You can ask yourself, is this really real? And I know that I was scarred back in the 90s, being a child of the 90s with the whole Millie Vanilli thing. I mean, they just seemed so real, so legit. Some young people are just out there shaking their heads like, I have no idea what he's even talking about right now. Investments can be fake, aka Bernie Madoff. That's why we have sayings like, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, because we live in a world where we've got to ask, is this real? And did you know that there are people out there that actually think that pro wrestling is fake? They don't think it's the real deal. I can't even believe that. And you know what? People can be fake as well. We're entering into this season of politics, and I I don't care what end of the political spectrum you're on, there's probably going to be times when you're listening to someone speak and you're going to say, are they legit? Is that for real? And you might be sitting there today saying, looking up at me saying, how do I know that you're for real? It's like, I I don't know. I wouldn't, there's pastors that live double lives. They can be very different from the life that they project on the stage to what they live in real life. We're always asking the question, is this real? You know, the thing that I'm really glad is that they do a lot of security stuff on the internet so you don't find anything that's fake on the internet. Because wouldn't that be confusing if there wasn't everything on there that was true? Just for fun, I wanted to show you one of my favorite YouTube videos. This is a, a Pepsi Max commercial with Jeff Gordon. And Jeff Gordon dupes a guy that is selling cars and that doesn't know that it's Jeff Gordon, doesn't know that he's a professional race car driver. One of my favorite. But I want you to ask the question, was this real or is it fake? Let's watch. Hello. Hey, Mike. Steve, nice to meet you, Mike. I saw you sort of gravitated towards the Camaro. Are you thinking about getting one? Oh, no, no, no. This, this way too much car for me. I'm Well, it's a lot of power, but they've designed it to be very safe. I don't know if I can handle it. I, I've never driven anything like this before. Well, I, I tell you what, I think a way to really make you feel comfortable would be to put you behind the wheel. You're good. <laughs> what are you driving now? Oh, just a minivan. Oh, yeah. What am I not signing obligated. here? You you sure? not, it's just a checkout sheet for a test drive. You're not obligated to anything. It's just so we know who's out. Let's go give it a drive. Ready I'm getting a little nervous. No, I'll be right there beside you. There are your keys, sir. Thank you, Steve. You'll have to unlock it, Mike. Oh, yeah. thank you. There we go. Oh, yeah. What a car. Mm-hmm. Well, we better buckle up. Yeah, good call. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice and easy. Just head on out whenever you're ready. Are you ready to go ahead and, yeah. and drive? Okay. Yeah, sure. Oh, 
Whoa. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, a little more than I'm used to. Yeah. It's got some power, so just get a feel for it. Okay. for any damages to the vehicle so please stop the car slow or at least slow down slow down slow down you can't go through that gate mike stop stop watch it watch out you're gonna wreck this car you're liable for it if you wreck it Yeah, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. No, it's just a prank. We're just having fun. Look, this is a camera. Here's a camera. There's cameras. Look, it was all just fun. Look, I'm Jeff Gordon. Sorry, man. Sorry. We'll do it again. Yeah, we'll do it again. That's real. And that's just good, clean fun right there. As we step into this series, and we're going to be asking that question, what is real? What we want to do is we want to actually hold the mirror up to our own life and hold the mirror up to our faith and start to ask that question, am I for real? Is my faith in Jesus Christ for real? And this is why I think this is an important question because Jesus, when he taught in maybe one of his most uh, significant sermons recorded, he talked about the very real fact that a fake faith is a real possibility. So in that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this scene that takes place on the judgment day and people standing before him. And this is what the text says. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I wanna just make a few observations of what Jesus taught right here because I think there's some characteristics of these people that we've got to look at. One is that we know that there was a theological understanding that they had of Jesus. They were able to look at him and say, he's the Lord. This is the Son of God. There was a theological understanding of who Jesus was. And when we look at this, we can see that they were emotionally and passionately involved. I mean, it wasn't just, it was significant. They repeated the name, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Passion. They were involved extensively in Christian service. Listen to what it says that they did. They prophesied, they drove out demons, they performed miracles. Now just think about that for a minute. Doesn't that seem like that would be a pretty good resume for someone as a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? But here's what's interesting. All of these traits that we just looked at right there, these are true for all believers. 
If a person is a true follower of Jesus Christ, these things are going to be true. They're going to understand theologically who he is as the Lord. They're going to be passionate about him, and they're going to be involved in kingdom service. But here's what's troubling to me. Just the presence of those traits doesn't guarantee that our faith is genuine. Because ultimately, Jesus looks at these people, and he says these words that are just so hard to hear. He says, I never knew you. And we've got to understand when he says that he didn't know them, he's not saying that he didn't know them intellectually. He knows who they are. For crying out loud, he created them. But what he's saying is, I didn't know you in a personal way. When the Bible uses that term know, it's talking about it in a sense of intimacy. They would often even use that term know to describe a virgin, saying she did not know a man. So that idea of knowledge is talking about intimacy. And what Jesus is saying to these people is, I didn't know you in an intimate, personal way. It was just all on the outside. But then one thing that Jesus does say is a trait of an authentic believer is that they would be the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Does the will of my Father. Now, now this doesn't mean that these people just got the list of the do's and the don'ts and they did all of those. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about this in a relational context because he knew them in a personal way. It was just the sense that I heard from him. I listened to him. The way Jesus describes it in John chapter 10 is he talks about people being my sheep. You know how he knows who my sheep are? My sheep are the ones, they hear my voice and what do they do? They follow me. They're not going to follow anybody else because they won't recognize their voice. There's this intimacy. There's this personal relationship that we know not just the general will of God and the things that he invites all people into and calls all people to, but we know what it is for us personally because we know him and we're responding to him. But I think about these people and I just wonder, were, were they just simply confused? How did they miss it? Did they, did they know the whole time that they didn't really know Christ personally? Were they just kind of pretending in some way? And I know that there's no way for us to actually know from the text the sincerity of someone. But I, but I hear what they're saying and I'm just thinking, it sounds like they were incredibly sincere. But at the end of the day, they were incredibly mistaken. And it's just sobering for me when I read that because it forces me to hold the mirror up to my own life. And I just say, would that be me? Would I be standing before the Lord and saying, but, but Lord, didn't I, I went to church, I gave to the church, I became a pastor, I spoke about you to people. Would there be the possibility that he could look at me and just say, Bob, I never knew you. I never knew you in that way. That reality for me and that reality for you drives me to this very real question. We've got to ask it over and over. Is our faith real? And if you've ever laid awake at night and wondered that, like, is this for real? Do I, do I really know him? If you've ever wondered that, this is gonna be an awesome series for you. Because 1 John, the whole book of 1 John is set to answer this question right there. Is my faith for real? And this is how John ends the book. He kind of gives us the punchline right at the very end of the book in 1 John 5, verse 13. This is the thesis for the book of 1 John. He says, I write these things, meaning these things, meaning everything that I've written in the book so far, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may 
know that you have eternal life. That you would know. Not that you would wish for, hope for. You know, I'm just gonna cross my fingers and try really hard and hope in the end it all works out for me. John's saying, I want you to know. This is too important for you to be confused about this. John wants us to know what genuine faith looks like. So let's jump in and let's start looking at what are some of the things that John talks about. 1 John 1, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And that word of life that he's talking about there is proclaiming Jesus Jesus himself has come. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then John says, I write this to make our joy complete. What John is saying here over and over and over again is he wants everyone that he's writing this letter to and by extension, every one of us that's ever gonna hear this letter that he wrote, we had a firsthand experience of Jesus. We saw him. We heard him with our ears. In fact, we touched him. He's real. He's saying God came near. We had a real experience with a real and living God and it was completely transformational. And what John is saying is he wants us to have that same experience that he had. He wants us to experience Jesus in the same way that he had. That's when he's talking about fellowship. Because that word fellowship, sometimes we hear that and we think of it as kind of like drinking coffee and cookies in a lobby and we're just kind of hanging out. But that word fellowship, the word that it means, it means to share in common. What John is saying is we want to share the life of Jesus in common. I want you to experience it just how we experienced it. But it's interesting, it's very different, isn't it? Even for the people that John wrote to, their experience of Jesus would have to be very different because they weren't able to see him with their eyes. They weren't able to hear him with their ears. They weren't able to touch him in the same way that the apostles were. But John somehow, he believes that they can have the exact same experience of the risen Jesus that they had. But we've got to acknowledge that it's different. But this is what John would say and this is what Jesus would say. They would say, absolutely, it is completely different. But it's better. And it's even more powerful than what they had the opportunity to experience. Because what God has chosen to do is he said, I'm going to send my spirit to live within you. This is what Jesus said to his disciples before he left the earth. John 16, verse 7. He says, but truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, right there, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the counselor. The Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is saying is I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna be in you by and through the power of my Holy Spirit. God's Spirit makes his home in our life. So in a very real way, we can have a very real and tangible experience of the risen Christ that is even greater than the experience that the apostles had before Jesus was resurrected. 
You see the spirit, even the word that's translated spirit in the Bible is the Greek word pneuma. Sometimes it's translated wind. You know, when you think about wind, you can't actually see wind, but you experience the results of it. You know when it's there. In the same way, the Spirit, you can't see the Spirit in your life, but you sense and experience the results of what the Spirit is doing in your life. And that's what John is trying to help people understand here. When the Spirit of God is in your life, when you are a genuine follower of Him, you are having regular experiences with God through the power of His Holy Spirit in you. And it's not just an intellectual reason type thing. It's a real experiential awareness of God's presence in your life And knowing that he's with you and your heart being melted by his love and knowing that he's there with you. I was just thinking about this last week uh, around some opportunities I had with friends talking about different ways that God was breaking in in their life. And it it was uncanny to me. There was probably four or five of my friends that shared about really specific dreams that God had given them. They gave them insight into things beyond what they would have ever been able to know apart from that. And I'll share one in particular. A friend of mine He had this dream about friends that he hadn't even seen for nearly five years. And the dream was so specific. And there was something that was going on in their life that was concerning to him. And so he just thought, I wonder what I should do with this. But he just felt God's spirit prompting him, prompting him, prompting him. So he said, I don't really know even how to move into this. But I just reached out to him and I said, this might sound really weird. It might have been crazy tacos that I ate before I went to bed. But I had this dream about you and this is what it was. And the voice on the other end of the phone said, there's no way that you could know that. Only my wife and I know that. But we know this is a gift from God. He's inviting you into this with us because we need you to come around us. Those tangible evidences that God's spirit is at work among us. I was thinking about another friend of mine that shared this week about an experience that she had right here in one of our worship gatherings If I were to try to describe to you some of the challenges that she's had to walk through over the last several years, it would just just break your heart. But she sat in here and God's spirit began to speak to her heart about his presence with her and his willingness to walk with her through anything. And she just felt overwhelmed with gratitude toward God that he's walking her through all of these challenges in life. And she was just overwhelmed and she just burst into tears She said, I had to run out through the lobby and there was just mascara running down my face and I was just sobbing. And she said, I wanted to tell everyone in the lobby, it's good, it's good, I'm okay. It's a good tears. But there was just this overwhelming sense of God's presence that was completely unrelated to the circumstances in life because circumstances were challenging, but God was there. Friends, God wants us to experience him in very real and tangible ways. And this is what I think is really cool is it's so different for everybody. Even those two examples that I gave you, there might be people in here that have never had anything like that. And these people might never have those. Again, God works in our lives in very personal ways. Maybe in terms of your personality and your temperament, there's different ways that God speaks to you, but you know that it's him and you know that he's there. God wants us to know that because he doesn't want us to just have an intellectual faith. Friends, it's not just about doctrine. It's not just knowing things about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus, knowing that he's there. He is a person. Jesus is a person. The Father is a person. The Spirit is a person. We're to relate to them as a person, not a doctrine. And I know when I say that, the last thing I'm trying to say is that doctrine is unimportant. 
Doctrine is incredibly important because it helps us understand the truth about who God is and what he's like and what he's done for us. But friends, we relate to God as a person. And this is how Jesus tried to explain it in John chapter 4. He said, God is spirit. And his worshipers, his true worshipers, must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a truth part of it. There's a doctrine part of it. But there's a spirit piece of it too. This awareness and this understanding that God is here and he's at work and we're hearing from him and we're responding to him in every area of our life. True believers have true experiences of God in their life. And it's that shared life of God, friends, that John is talking about that actually makes us the family of God. Here's how John tried to explain that. I wanna go back to verse three again. He said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, Meaning, here's the purpose of why I want to proclaim this to you, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Again, that idea of sharing, we want to share in the life of Jesus together. I want to know what Jesus is doing in your life, and I want you to know what Jesus is doing in my life. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So you see, the way John talks about it there, and I shared a few weeks ago, and you're going to think, man, this guy's just like a one-trick pony. He just talks about the same thing over and over. But I'm going to say it again, because I think it's that important. And if Paul said it and John said it, he wants us to understand it. There's a vertical component to our relationship with God as we relate with him. But friends, there's just as important, there's a horizontal component for us being able to experience the reality of God in our life. We need to be part of the family of God. And that's exactly what John is saying there. It's that joy that is made complete happens. That's what he talks about in verse four. That joy that is made complete happens as we become a family together. Now, as I was reflecting on this and thinking about lots that I know about our church family here, this is how I would honestly assess it. I I believe with everything in me that theologically speaking, that is true. We are a family God is our father, and because he's our father, we're brothers and sisters. We are his family. But this is what I believe to be true, is that if we did a poll here, I would say experientially, most people aren't experiencing that with one another in this room. I just hear it over and over. I feel disconnected. I feel isolated. I don't feel like I'm part of the family. And so in some ways, when we use that term, journey family, I realize that that term is aspirational, But friends, we've got to move it from aspirational to real. It's got to become a part of how we live and do business together. It's got to be. I was just thinking as I was writing this, as I was writing this sermon, I was working in a coffee shop and I guess I was eavesdropping because there was some people that were right next to me talking. But it just caught my attention because one gal was sharing with another gal why they had left Journey and started to attend another church and that just grabbed my attention and She had incredibly positive things to say about her experience at Journey. But at the end of the day, she just said, I couldn't connect. And she said, I went to this other place and I was able to do that. And I don't share this because I want to be competitive and I want everybody to be here. I know the place where she landed and they've got godly leaders and and they're going to do great, great things. But it just grieved my heart that someone would have to leave because they didn't feel like they were connected to anybody else around here. And as I stand up here, I, I wish what I could do is just like wave a wand like this, and then suddenly everybody has these deep, connected relationships out there. But for one, I don't have a wand, and I don't even know if waving a wand would help. But what I do know is it's going to take some work on our behalf. 
And I want to lay out a challenge there a bit. If you've been around Journey and you would consider yourself to be someone who is a mature follower of Jesus, would you reach out to people around you? Would you take time? Would you take some time to practice the biblical gift of hospitality? Would you get in the lives of other people? Maybe have a cup of coffee. Maybe go out to lunch. Maybe invite another family to be a part of your life. And it doesn't have to be necessarily people that you don't know, but there's, you know, there's just people out there, you kind of see them, but you never are actually able to get together with them. Invite them into your world. Invite them into your world. Make time for them. I was just thinking, we've got 21 meals a week on average that we eat. Just take one of them and do it with someone that you don't know very well and begin to experience that life of Christ together. Because friends, the life of faith that John is talking about here, the genuine faith, it's not a life. It's not a faith that's isolated. It's meant to be lived inside of the context of a family. But now really buckle in because as John continues, he starts to talk about what is kind of the nature of these relationships. It's not just that I know somebody's name and I have them over for dinner and I maybe learn some facts about them. He starts to describe what is the actual nature of the kind of family relationships that should exist within the family of God. And this is what is so crazy. These are not superficial relationships. This is how John describes it, starting in verse five. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, Jesus uses this metaphor of light and darkness to describe the nature of what relationship should look like. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. He said our relationship should look like we're walking in the light, not in darkness. And I want to just look at this a little bit because when it talks about God is light and this idea of light, for one aspect of it, it is talking about the character of God. What is he like? He is pure he is holy. He is completely separated from sin. He is completely righteous in everything that he is and everything that he does. But when John is talking about light here, he's talking about more than just the character of God. He's actually talking about what is it that light does? When God shows up and he shines his light, what is it that light does? Friends, here's what light does. It reveals, it uncovers, and it exposes. Light shows things for what they really are. I can't hide from you right now because the light is right on me. There's no way for me to hide. But on the other hand, he talks about darkness. What is it that darkness does? Darkness allows us to hide. It allows us to conceal things. It allows us to cover things up. It allows us to try to deal with things in ways that aren't real. But when the light shows up, what happens? Darkness is immediately dispelled. As soon as the light shows up, darkness is gone. Things are seen as they really are, and there's no hiding. And here's the challenge that John brings us in verse 6. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. So we've got to ask ourselves, when he's talking about living in we we're disconnected from God when we're walking in darkness. What does it mean that we walk in darkness? darkness. 
There's a couple different levels as I studied this that I think John wants us to understand in terms of what walking in the darkness means. One commentator said, and I just love this, on one level, darkness is the determination to choose sin rather than God as one's constant fear, sphere of existence. I just kind of picture this idea that God, you do your thing, I'm gonna do my thing. I wanna be separate from you. I'm gonna choose my path for life. I don't wanna choose your path for my life. It's kind of this bold, it's like, God, I just don't want to be with you. And that makes sense to me that that's darkness. But friends, I think there's a second level of darkness that John is talking about that I think is a little bit more subtle, maybe a little bit more insidious, but at the same time, I think it does the same thing to keep us from fully experiencing the power and the presence of God in our life. And the definition of that would be this, a darkness characterized by being unwilling to bring the dark parts of our lives into the open for God and for others to see. It's a religious darkness. It's that sense of of falsehood. I'm gonna project something out there that isn't real. And those were the people that Jesus looked at them and said, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. He's talking about walking in the light. But here's the problem. As our natural response, even when I say that, I just think, I do not wanna be open and honest with people about the sin and the brokenness in my life. I want to be hidden at times. I don't want people to know things about me. And I know that that's probably true for most people in here. We don't naturally move toward that. And I think about even back to the the first couple in the garden. That's exactly what they did. Sin, brokenness came into the world. What they do? They tried to hide from God and they tried to hide from each other. But I think there's a word picture that I think will help us understand what does it look like for us to actually walk in the light? And that word picture would be this, living our life with the roof off and our relationship with God and the walls down and our relationships with other people, allowing God's light to shine into our life. But that can be scary, can't it? To be vulnerable, to be honest, to be transparent about the things that are dark in our life. What is it that would give us the power and the courage to actually move toward people and be open about that? John helps us understand that in verse seven when he says this. He said, but we walk in the light as he is in the light. If, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here it is. He says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What is it that gives us the courage? It's the fact that we know that in Christ, his blood covers all of our sin. All of our sin, past, present, and future. When the father looks at us, what he sees is his son because it is finished, it has been paid. The blood covers everything. We don't have to hide. God sees it all and he knows. We can bring that into the light with him and with other people because we know that the blood of Jesus Christ covers everything. So what is our practical response that John invites us into? Is it to do more, try harder, get your act together, fake it till you make it? Is that the plan that Jesus wants us to be on? Not at all. All he says to do is simply recognize your need before me in humility and authenticity. And then he talks about confess your brokenness and need to me and to others. This is what the scripture says in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You see this idea of walking in the light? It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, what, it, what darkness describes is that we're just not honest about the genuine sin and brokenness that we have in our life. Walking in the light just simply means that we're honest about those things in our life. As I was thinking about this, I was just reflecting back on the life of Jesus and thinking about all the people that he came across in his life. Who were the people that actually found life in him? Who found hope in him? Found forgiveness in him? What kind of people was it? It was the prostitutes. It was the woman caught in adultery. It was the tax collectors. You know what the common denominator for all of those people was? They knew that they had need before a holy God and they were willing to throw their lives at the feet of Jesus and they didn't care who saw about it because they knew that the blood of Jesus would cover it if they could just come to him. They weren't afraid of it. Who were the people that never found life in Jesus? Who were just completely allergic to the life and the hope that Jesus wanted to bring? It was the religious people. It was the people that had a good outside. They had great masks that looked awesome to everybody. But Jesus looked at them and they said, it's a charade. You're rotting on the inside. If they would have just been willing to open up their lives and acknowledge their need, the grace and the love of Jesus would have rushed to the deepest places of their sin, but they just chose to hide. Jesus would say to us, come into the light with me and with others because I am in the light. And I'm not only in the light, I am the light. When we come to Jesus, he shows us what we are and we acknowledge it to him and to others. What we're always gonna know is that a real faith lives life with the roof off and the walls down. But just do a little inventory in your own life. When was the last time that you were just really gut level honest before God about the things that are going on in you? Where you've just said, God, would you just really search my heart? Would you shine your light into the deepest places of me and the darkest places and show me if there's anything in there that's keeping me from experiencing your power and your presence? Because God, if it's in there, I want it out. I want to experience more of you. I don't want anything to short circuit your work in my life. When was the last time you did that with God. And maybe when was the last time, even if it's just one person, you actually talked to another person about the sin and brokenness in your own life. So even from another person, you can be extended grace and healing in that way. Real faith gets real with people. People that have a real faith, they're able to get real with people. That's what John wants us to understand here. I want us to land the plane back in Matthew chapter seven where we started. In the last verse that we read, Jesus said, away from me, you evildoers. But Jesus then goes on to talk about what true faith actually looks like. What are people that have true faith, what is a practice of their life? And one of the practices of their life is hearing what God is saying to them and simply obeying whatever it is that God asks them to do. This is how Jesus described that. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. 
The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. Some people, their life practice is that they hear the voice of God in their life and they just say, Jesus, whatever it is that you're saying to me and whatever it is that you want me to do, I'm gonna get about doing it. And what Jesus is saying, it's like they're building their life on a solid rock. But then he talks about other people. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and he does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. You have another option of what you can do with the words and the voice of Jesus. You can just say to yourself, I'm gonna hear it but I'm not gonna put it into practice. I'm not gonna take the time to ask God what he wants me to do. And it's like building your house on sand. You see, this is, this is gonna blow away before you even get out to your car in the parking lot. What Jesus is saying, build your life on the solid things. When my spirit speaks to your heart, obey it. Build a solid foundation. I want it to be the practice of us around here that we would walk out of here saying, what's my rock? I'm not leaving this place till I've got a rock to build my life on. I don't want you to just come here and hear some music, hear a sermon, and go out and just live our lives the same way. God, what is the rock? What do you want me to take away from today? I want to leave with a rock. And friends, when you leave this place, if you leave with someone, ask them, what was your rock today? What rock did God give you today? I want to create some space now to just give you a couple minutes to ask those Lord those two simple questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do about it? Because I'm not leaving here, God, without a rock. I don't want Bob's rock. I want a rock from you, God. What is it that you're saying to me? And what is it that you want me to do? Jesus, we just acknowledge today that you are the rock. There is no other rock that we want to build our life on other than you. And Jesus, we want to come before you. We want to hear your words and we want to put them into practice. We want to build on a rock. Jesus, would you give us a rock? Show us the rock that you want us to build on today. We love you and we trust you and we're willing to say yes to whatever it is that you bring to us. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.